Last week, brief review of last week, we gave a, gave a very, very brief review of Dirk's Sunday School series on the intentionality and structure of the arrangement of the whole book of Psalms. Dirk, was, Dirk wasn't here last week, you just have to trust me, I did, I did a good job. I didn't, I didn't misrepresent anything that you said. So, uh, we did the whole, whole Psalms very briefly touched on that, that one nice sheet that Dirk prepared for us, uh, pulled out some highlights of that. We focused in on, on book five, whose main theme is restoration, completion, and victory. And we saw where the, the Psalms of Ascent fit within that whole framework of restoration, completion, and victory. And then finally, we spent probably the last half of Sunday school looking at specifically at that word ascent and what that means that is used in the titles of these 15 Psalms of Ascent. And we gave the, the four views of what could be meant by this word. Very, very briefly, too, because we spent probably 20 minutes on this last time, 15, 20 minutes, um, but very briefly to review what the four kind of possibilities on what this word ascent could mean. Uh, the first view is that it just means that the poetic elements of these psalms, both within each psalm and across the whole 15, ascend some way in their composition. So they ascend in their poetic composition. That's Like I said, that's kind of the weakest view, but it's not necessarily wrong. Review why in just a second. Second view. Each of the 15 psalms were sung on each of the 15 steps as a worshiper ascended from one court of the temple to the other court. So one psalm per step. They'd sing a psalm, go to the next step, sing the next psalm. By the time they're at the top, then they have sung all 15 psalms whenever they're ascending from one court of the temple into the other. Third view. The psalms were sung by those returning from exile as they ascended back to Jerusalem. Okay, so an exile, these were songs that they were singing as they were coming back from Babylon or the ones that might have still been left in Assyria or even the ones that were exiled to Egypt. As they ascended back to Jerusalem, they would be singing these 15 songs over and over. And the fourth view, which is the most prominent view, probably the one that's most likely if you were to just hold one singular view, would be that the songs were sung by those who are making the pilgrimage, ascending to Jerusalem, for each of the three commanded feast days in Deuteronomy. So you got three commanded feast days there. You got the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was Passover. You got the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Booths. They correspond like March, early summer, September-ish in our calendar. So three times a year, the males would go up to Jerusalem and they would be singing these songs as they go up to Jerusalem. The women and children could come with them, but they weren't commanded to like the males were. So they'd be singing them as they, they went. But then I concluded at the end that all four of these views can actually be held simultaneously. You don't really have to pick just one. They can, you know, each of the psalms could have poetic ascending elements. Each of them could be sung on the temple steps, and each of them could be sung while they were returning to exile, and they could be sung at the pilgrimages. There's no reason why any of these views has to exclude any of the other ones. So I actually think they all, all four could be right. And we saw some examples of Jesus probably singing these psalms as he ascended to Jerusalem both as a teenager when his parents go to Jerusalem to the temple and whenever he's going in to be crucified on uh, Palm Sunday, before Palm Sunday. He says he ascended. He went up. And we, we can sing these. We can enjoy these for their poetic forms and arrangements. We can sing them as we come into our New Testament temple to worship. And we could view ourselves as the covenant people of God that are currently in exile, making our way back to the promised land to be in the full presence of God. We can definitely sing them as pilgrims traveling through this life, 
both physically and spiritually, on our way to worship in the place and time that God has commanded us to worship, i.e. here today. So we can sing these songs. Also made the point that Sunday school serves as kind of an opener to the main worship service. That's kind of the way I view it. That's kind of the way I, I write my lessons for Sunday school. We can use it as a time to settle down from the hustle to get here, prepare our hearts to worship, and all while worshiping while we do that. So I said, let's, let's try to use that this next 30 to 40 minutes for that specific purpose here. But today, today is going to be a, a bit different kind of Sunday school lesson. We're not sticking to a passage or a, I guess it is a biblical theme, but it'll be a little bit different because today is going to be all about poetry and singing, which is kind of different for a Sunday school lesson. But I think it's, it's nice to kind of set up where I'm coming from and how I'll pull all this together for the next... I don't know, nine or ten weeks. So singing. We've got tons of references to singing in the Old Testament. All across the Psalms, there's a lot of references to it in First and Second Chronicles. You get it a lot in the major and minor prophets. So singing was a large part of the worship of God's people. New Testament. Many references to singing also there. Psalms are directly referenced in Luke and Acts. Paul is recorded as singing hymns in prison in Acts chapter 16. Uh, Paul also mentions someone bringing forth a hymn in a worship service in 1 Corinthians 14. And the book of Revelation specifically mentions what it calls new songs being sung in praise of the Lord sitting around his throne. Very briefly, we're going to look at three, three texts together real quick to kind of set up this idea of singing as a New Testament church. First of all is Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, and there's a parallel passage. It's almost identical to this in Mark 14. We're just going to look at Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verses 26 through 30. Matthew 26, 26. Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper here. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And verse 30, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So we've got an, insti- an institution of singing right here. So if we're going to take um, our regulative principle of worship and apply the Lord's Supper to it, we see that's obviously here in an ordained worship service, the Lord's Supper. And we also see that singing is part of it too. Jesus is instituting this. Remember, this, we're participating in this today. The very thing we're participating in in the Lord's Supper And how do they conclude it? By singing a hymn. Next passage, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Paul's making an exhortation on how to walk. In the Christian life, how to live a Christian life, in verses 15 through 21, chapter 5 of Ephesians, he says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, 
making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul's exhortation for the how to live as a Christian how to live a Christian life includes addressing one another and singing with each other psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Same thing over in Colossians chapter 3. Hal's probably going to make it here in a few weeks. Colossians chapter 3, we'll go ahead and read that. Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. It's kind of making the same thing here, how to live a Christian life. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So, same exhortation as back over in Ephesians chapter 5. The Christian life is to be a life of singing. Speaking specifically about this passage, I'm going to read a, an extended quote here, and this is from the website gotquestions.org. That's a very like nondescript website, but this is it's it's a, it's a good website for a lot of um, frequently asked questions in, in terms of the Christian life. They're very solid on all the recommendations or most of the recommendations they give. I haven't looked at every page on that website, but this one this one's solid. So this is specific speaking specifically about these passages. This is what Got Questions says. A hymn is a song that gives praise, honor, or thanksgiving to God. Unlike psalms, hymns are not written by divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit and are not considered part of Scripture. However, the best ones often incorporate portions of Scripture and are filled with rich doctrinal truth. Hymns are often metrical poems arranged to be sung corporately. Even in Jesus' day, hymns were part of Jewish worship. After the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn. The term spiritual songs is even more general. Believers are to express their faith in song, but not just any song. Scripture indicates the songs of believers must be spiritual. That is, the songs of the church deal with spiritual themes. They might not directly praise God, but they teach a doctrine, encourage the body, or prompt others toward love and good works. A spiritual song might express the joy of one's salvation, revel in the grace of Christ, or exalt the greatness and power of God. In short, a spiritual song can communicate a wide variety of sacred themes. From Psalms to Revelation, the Bible encourages us to sing a new song to the Lord. This is quoted in Psalm 96, 144, Isaiah 42, Revelation 5, Revelation 14. Psalm 43 says, He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. A new song is one that arises from the spirit of a person whose heart overflows with adoration for God. Paul's instruction to the Ephesians about music is preceded by the command to be filled with the Spirit. Immediately preceded by the command to be filled with the Spirit. (laughs) When we're filled with the Spirit, 
then psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are the natural expression of our hearts. A spirit-filled person is a singing person. One clear indication that a person is filled with the Holy Spirit is a natural desire to sing and to praise God. Musical ability has little or nothing to do with it. God created us to find great spiritual expression through music. Psalm 135 and in Judges chapter 5. Scripture is filled with music. God delights when we use what he has created to worship him. Music finds its highest purpose when, when used as a tool to extol the greatness of God. It can console, encourage, teach, and even admonish those who are away from God. Music is a biblical way of expressing our worship of the Lord. Spiritual music gives voice to our joy and adoration unlike anything else. Whether a psalm or a hymn or a spiritual song, the purpose of music is to glorify God, and he wants us to use this gift as a means of worshiping him. Stand lengthy passage. I told you it was lengthy, but it's good. Now us, I don't know, me personally, I don't know about you, but me personally, we're well-versed in hymns here. We sing a, a nice variety of rich hymns and spiritual songs. But, but what about the psalms? It's first in the list, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Psalms comes first here. So that's what we're going to focus on the rest of the time today. We've kind of hinted at it, how kind of let the cat out of the bag last week. We're going to be singing some psalms during this Sunday school series. We're going to do that later today. We'll get to that in just a minute. So uh, let me briefly mention something called exclusive psalmody. Some of y'all might not know what this is. Some of y'all might know what this is. This is the view... Um, that some churches hold, especially Reformed churches, they would hold that you should, in a corporate worship service, you should only sing psalms, nothing else, and you should only sing them without any instruments. Okay? It's going to be a cappella psalms, and that's it. Now, I get it. I, 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 I get it. I, I've read their arguments, and their arguments are very good. I'm not fully convinced of it. But, I mean, I, I get why someone might hold this view. It really guards you from a lot of, of, of junk that might come in through singing, honestly. It really does. If you know you're singing God's inspired word, you know it's got to be good then. Um, but like I said, I understand. I get it. I'm not fully convinced of it. I've read the counter arguments, and I'm, I'm more on their side. But I don't, I don't really hold in contempt anyone that holds an exclusive psalmody view. Okay? And they would hold us in contempt because they think we're, we're sinning by not... Um, so it's not mutual in that way. But um, so anyway, I, like, I get it. But I just wanted to touch on that briefly because we are going to be singing psalms in here. We're going to talk about that the rest of the day. All right. Brief note on music and the selection of instruments. I'm not, you know, more is not necessarily bad in terms of instruments. You see that in the Old Testament. There's a variety of instruments there. Um, but the focus is that it, the instruments should not be distracting. Okay, whenever you go into something that it's, it's, the music is so loud that it's overpowering the congregation or it's distracting, that's where you get into problem territory. Like I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, when we had a piano and an organ, I didn't mind that. If we had a guitar up there, I probably wouldn't mind that either. But when it gets to the point of the music being the focus or distraction, then that's where the problems come in. The focus should really be on the voice of the congregation, the voice of what they're singing, and the music should really be accompaniment. Really, it should accompany the singing. It shouldn't overpower the singing. So, brief note on that. The instruments, the music. So, I don't think we should necessarily be singing a cappella, but the music should not be overpowering and distracting. So, 
obviously, I've already mentioned this, we sing hymns, sing a lot of hymns. I love the hymns that we sing. I've actually keeps a list of hymns that I won't play it at my funeral whenever that happens, Lord willing, not for a long time. But I love, love the good, rich hymns of the church. We're talking about psalms specifically today, singing. But you may have not have known this. We actually do sing some psalms already, which you might not have noticed. Me and Miss Bunny were talking about this last Sunday after the evening service. Some of the songs that we sing are songs that are inspired by a psalm. We sang this in A Mighty Fortress Is Our God last week. Martin Luther used Psalm 46 as an inspiration to write that. It's not even really like a loose paraphrase of Psalm 46. But he, uh, the tale is that whenever he was in his ministry, uh, he'd just randomly break out, let's sing the 46, and then everybody that was around would start singing A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. So um, there's that kind of category some songs are inspired by psalms. Others that we sing here are paraphrases of psalms like From All That Dwell Below the Skies. We sang that one recently. That's a paraphrase of Psalm 117. I can show you that right here. And I can show you specifically, this is our blue Trinity hymnal that's in all the, the pews there. Baptist edition. Nice. It's got our, our 1689 in the back. That's why it's called the Baptist edition. It's because... The red version of this has the Westminster Confession in the back. This has the 1689 in the back. Um, so hymn number three here is From All That Dwell Below the Skies. Turn into it. And you won't be able to see this, but you can look at this later. Don't do this while Pastor Thomas is preaching, okay? But later on, if you look here, hymn number three, it says, this is From All That Dwell Below the Skies. And he said right there, from Psalm 117. Okay? It's written by Isaac Watts. Arguably the greatest hymn writer in the history of the church. So, inspired by Psalm 117, from all that dwell below the skies. Also, God be merciful to me, sang that one recently. In this, it's 415. Show you that one. God be merciful to me, from Psalm 51. This is just pulled from a book called The Psalter. So those are the other categories. It's kind of paraphrases of those psalms. And then others are directly, tra- directly translated from psalms. So direct translations that are modified to rhyme. The example of this is all people that on earth do dwell. I'm seeing that one here. That's number one in this hymnal. Number one, and it says here, it doesn't say from Psalm 100. It says Psalm 100. So directly translated Modified to rhyme. We sing that here. All right. So those are just actually, I didn't go through our hymn list or anything and, and cross right. These are ones that I pulled off the top of my head. There's probably more that we sing, but I was just giving you some examples where we actually do kind of do this already. You just might not have known it. All right. So just wanted to give a few, kind of set the tone here that we do this. Next thing, we'll talk about something called meter. I'm gonna, some of you may know about this already, but in case you don't, this is kind of an important part of, of singing a psalm is the meter. So what is it? So poetry, especially Western poetry, has many components but, and features, but two of the primary building blocks are rhythm and resolution to Western poetry. Resolution is the most common way to, to resolve a poem is through rhyme. You want it to, to kind of finish, get some closure between each lines or across a group of lines. And the most common way to get closure is, is through rhyming. A lot of poems don't rhyme, and you see that a lot of complaints from, from, from you know, um, just 
side chair poets like this poem doesn't even rhyme. It's well, it's because the poem has resolution through some other way other than rhyming. Ancient Near Eastern poetry, like the Psalms, provided resolution in other ways, parallelisms or repetition or things like this. And these almost never rhymed. They don't even rhyme in Hebrew. So they're not going to rhyme in English either if you directly translate them. So this, obviously, you see, is going to present a difficulty. We're going to talk about it in just a second. So that's, that's one way to, to resolve piece of poetry make it rhyme or in Hebrew it's a lot of parallelisms or um, a lot of repetition and that's where you get the resolution and the other thing the other building component in a lot of poetry is rhythm or another word for this is it's meter so meter specifically is how many syllables are on a particular line of poetry and this is very important whenever you're talking about singing psalms how many syllables are on a particular line and where the stresses of the syllables are. Okay. So the most... I don't want to go into that. It's too technically poetic. Um, the most kind of, I'll mention it. The most common stress in, in Western poetry is called the iambic, where you have an unstressed syllable and then a stressed syllable. Um, kind of a side note. And so all poems and songs... Now just remember, a song is just a a poem with an accompanying tune. All of these have an established meter. And so, I've got a couple of things to hand out to you guys today. This is one of them. I'll keep one of these. Y'all just pass these around. I have done you guys the service of collecting all of the hymns. I'll wait till everybody gets one before I go into depth what this is. This is a list of all of the hymns that we sing. Well, I'm going to not say all of them, but a lot of the hymns that we sing. I don't remember how many is on this list. Probably, I don't know, it's over 100. Maybe close to two. These are a lot of the hymns that we sing and their meter. Okay. I'll wait till, wait till everybody gets a, a copy here. So all... These are all the hymns that we sing, and these are organized by their meter. This is going to be useful later, in case you take, it, take me up on my recommendations that I'm going to make. So take, for example, I'm just going to show you what, what this all means here. Take, for example, Rock of Ages. Okay, That's one that we're all probably very familiar with. Rock of Ages, so these are organized by meter. I put the meters without numbers on first, and then starting with the, the, the lowest, this is in ascending order here. Rock of Ages is down right there. This is on that first page. It has a meter of 77777. So if you go through the first stanza of Rock of Ages, if you count the number of syllables per line, you're going to get seven syllables per line. Rock of Ages cleft for me. Okay. So seven syllables per line. And each stanza has... What is it? Five lines? One, two, six lines. Has six lines, and each line contains seven syllables. Okay? So this is kind of, that's how you read one of these things. So others, others of this you can kind of test for yourself. If you have a favorite hymn, you can find it on here. Count them out. So other things that you'll see here other than numbers, just let me quickly point out. If you see a D, so take, for example, uh, take time to be holy which is right here. It's 6565D. 
What that means is double. So you'd sing six, five, six, five, and then repeat it again, six, five, six, five, and that's one stanza. So you'd sing six syllables, five syllables, six syllables, five syllables, six syllables, five syllables, six You did it double, it just doubles the meter. Other things you might see is REF, that stands for refrain. Um, take, for example, here, Jesus paid it all, which is 6677 with the refrain right there. 6677 with the refrain. Now, most of the time, if a song has a refrain, they won't record the number of syllables in there. So Jesus paid it all would be the stanzas would have six syllables, six syllables, seven syllables, seven syllables, and then the refrain. And they just don't count the number of syllables in that. Some of them will have REP at the end of it, which stands for repeated. Let's see here. Um, or before I do that, there's also can be like a double in a refrain. So Hark the Herald Angels Sing down here, 7777 double refrain. So you'd sing 7777 twice and then have that refrain at the end. And then repeat which means the last line is repeated, often with a slight change of the tune. Probably usually just the last note is changed. So go with uh, Take My Life and Let It Be, which is very last one on the second column. Seven, 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 repeated. So you'd sing four lines of seven and then repeat the last line of seven, usually with a different tune. All right. Those are some of the things. Now, lastly, this first column. You might be wondering, what does this stuff mean? Well, these are different, different meters here. Now, these were ones, except for irregular, that were so common, especially when poetry was really kind of establishing its kind of framework back in 15, 16, 1700s. These meters were so common that they gave them their own names instead of just listing out their numbers. So the first one is called common meter. Common meter, that's what CM stands for, and that follows an 8686 pattern. Amazing Grace is a very common, common meter. <laughs> so if you count them out, the stanzas of Amazing Grace, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, eight syllables. The next line would be six, next line would be eight, last line would be six. Okay. So common meter is 8686. And you can also double that, have a refrain, have a repeated line on those. Next one in that list is irregular. Irregular means that it has no discernible pattern whatsoever. If you try to try to count out like silent nights, it's just like random syllables in each line. So they somehow get it to work. But uh, it's no, no established syllabic pattern, so they just label it as irregular. It's not very useful for what we're going to be using it for. Um, next one, LM stands for long meter. So remember, common meter is 8686. Long meter, they take those two sixes and make them eights. So they make them longer. That's called long meter. So it's 8888. And then the next one is SM. You see a few of those down there on the bottom. It's called short meter. And they take the 8686 of common meter and they shorten the first one to six. So that's why it's called short meter. So short meter is 6686. Okay. This is all important. I think I'm just wasting time here. Fluffing up my Sunday school lesson. I'm not. What time is it? Hmm? About seven minutes left? Oh, we got to get moving here. Okay. Um, so that's, that's meter. 
I was going to tell you how to read a, a, path, a, a page in a hymn book. I'll just point it out to you. You've got your lyrics, your notes. What you also have here is who wrote it. Maybe something what it's based on. You might have a passage of scripture that it might refer to. But you also will have a, the name of the tune right there. You will have who wrote the tune. So the author of the lyrics and the tune are almost never the same person. Sometimes they are, but they're almost never. And then what you'll also have here is the meter. Every hymn book, or every hymn book that I've ever seen will list the meter of whatever song that you're, you're singing. So that's on the hymn book there. All right. Very briefly about the difficulty of translating psalms. It's very difficult to be true to the text while establishing meter and rhyme. You can see why. It's difficult enough to translate something faithfully and, and understandably from Hebrew to English. Okay, that's difficult enough to just be faithful to the text while writing something that we can understand. But you're adding the additional restrictions here of putting some sort of established meter on this and making the lines rhyme because we expect songs to rhyme in the Western world. Okay, you gotta, you got to understand how difficult this is. It's very difficult. And it's even more difficult to do well. But there are many good Psalters out there. One of them is called the Old Scottish Psalter. It's got a lot of old ancient, well not ancient, but Gaelic words that we would not understand what they mean. But it's a good one. There is one that's available from the Free Church of Scotland that's online. If you just Google um, like singing psalms, Free Church of Scotland, there's a PDF download. They give you a couple of different options for meters for the psalms. It's on there free if, you, if you're interested in it. Uh, this right here, there's, there's also a Trinity Psalter that collects all the psalms together. That's not this. It's a little bit different. Um, this Trinity Hymnal, the Baptist edition, has most of the psalms in some form in there. A lot of them are paraphrases. A lot of them are direct translations. Most of them are pulled from other sources. They, don't, they didn't write, collect, write these themselves. They just collected them. Some of them have meters that I don't know a tune for. So that's kind of a difficulty. And they aren't really numbered the same way that a, the psalm that they reference. So, but if you look up in the back, in one of the pieces of one of the appendices, they have an index of scripture references and hymns. Very useful for a lot of different ways. But it's got any hymn that might be referenced, that might have an allusion to it in Scripture. They've got them all listed here, organized by Scripture in the Trinity Hymnal. And so they've got this whole section right there is just psalms. So they've got almost every psalm represented in some way in this hymnal. Alright. Here we go. Now, let me make a recommendation to you. This is the Book of Psalms for Worship. Book of Psalms for Worship. This is $22, and it is well worth $22. Yeah, this is uh, it's a 2010 version of a 1973 publication that was called the Book of Psalms for Singing that was put out by the RPCNA, which is the Reformed Presbyterian Church in North America. Now, this group is very conservative, more conservative than the PCA. They're part of that exclusive psalmody people. They sing just psalms, and they sing them without music. And they, this book is in modern language, translated directly from Hebrew. They had a translation committee. It took them like nine years to make this thing or something. Um, so it's translated directly from Hebrew. It's faithful to the text while incorporating meter and rhyme very well. And it's 
organized sequentially. So if you turn to page 103, it's going to be the 103rd Psalm. Now, there's often multiple options for tunes in here, so that's great. Uh, a lot of the longer psalms are broken into multiple multiple hymns here, so that's that's good. So you don't you're not singing you know 16 verses or something. Now, here I was going to show you some examples for Psalm 65, which is what we're going to sing today. I'm going to actually skip over that since we're running running low on time. But here's something that I find particularly awesome about this thing, is that if you turn to the very last thing, they have an index of psalm usage in the New Testament, which is just a, I mean, it's a great resource all by itself. So what they have here is that in bold, so they have all their psalms listed out, if they have some sort of, even an allusion in the New Testament, listed in bold is when the psalm is quoted in the New Testament and where it's quoted. So the first instance of that is Psalm one, I mean Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2 is quoted in Acts 4, 25 and 26. And if they're not in bold, then it kind of makes some sort of allusion to that psalm in the Old Testament. Not a direct quotation, but an allusion to it. Okay, I mean, that's a great itself, other than all the psalms organized. So here, they give you all the psalms and meter. Today... In our last few minutes, I was going to give like some notes and a brief exposition on Psalm 65, but we don't have time for that, so we're just going to sing it. All right, in Psalm 65, they give you a couple of options. I read this this week, and it, it struck me as a good, a good psalm to start out with. We're going to do this one to practice for our Psalms of Ascent that we're going to be singing next week. We're going to be singing probably two Psalms of Ascent each week. But right now, we're going to sing Psalm 65, and they give you a couple of options here. And what I've done is combine these two, which are both in 7676 double. So if you look at your, your meter sheet, you could take these lyrics and you could sing them to anything that has a 7676 double. You got probably 10 options there. So you could sing this to any tune that has a 7676 double. And I've already got, got sheets here. I've arranged this into, I've gathered all the verses here, I have enough, I've got a few extras, anybody need one more, one more, good, good, all right, Psalm 65, I'm on, that's why I have my guitar sitting over here, because I'm going to play my guitar along with it, we're going to be singing this, the one that I picked out was... Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Okay? So everybody, I picked one that I thought everybody would probably know. I'm going to give us a little lead in, then we're going to start singing, and if I mess up, just plow through, because that's probably going to happen. Okay? All right. I'm going to try to lead us here, okay? We're going to do good. Everybody, everybody ready? 